This is a Soulfire production. I'm so excited for you guys to hear today's episode with Lola Wright. Lola is here in Chicago. She is a founder, coach, and consultant. She's a radical truth teller supporting influencers, change makers, organizations, and leaders. This woman is a force for love and change transformation on the planet. Today we talk and you guys are going to hear about Lola's story, uh, how she's making sense of this moment called 2020 and how this can be a gift and in service of our own becoming. We talk about the drama triangle and how to break free of victim, villain, and hero consciousness and how to live with more joy inside of our lives. We talk about what it means to take radical self-responsibility and release any limiting beliefs and any upper limits that may subconsciously be blocking us from growing to our next level. At the end, Lola talks a lot about her mindfulness hacks, favorite books, and tools that she uses on a daily basis to live in greater alignment. Really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Here's Lola. So you guys, I have my friend here, Lola Wright, who is a big, a big deal. When I think of Lola, I think of her as a force. Like when you're around her energy, she's just a lot because there's so much inside of her that cares so deeply. And that's probably what I recognize as a reflection. And it it makes my soul like move sometimes of like, I I care that much. And so to be around someone that cares so much, it it moves me. And she cares about transformation. She cares about us taking radical personal responsibility. She cares about us growing and evolving personally and globally, consciously now and living in the moment and what that means. Like she cares about so many big, big topics and she breaks them down in tangible terms, I think. Um, she's done this in so many different platforms, so many different ways. You guys are going to get to discover her through this conversation. And I'm going to link up tons of tools. Um, and things that she's done so you can dive into Lola Wright and who she is and what she stands for. But today, I'm just excited for you to meet her and get a taste of all of the wisdom that she has to offer. So Lola, before we get started, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for choosing to show up the way that you do. Thank you for being a stand for change and love and transformation on the planet. And um, thank you for playing the way that you do, because it's it's hard to have a voice so big. I think it's been a challenge for me to share truth. Um, and you do it. You do it eloquently and you do it no matter what the cost. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. And I'm excited for people to get to know you. So I don't know if you want to start by sharing a little bit of your story. I know it's been a minute to get here. So I don't know how you could do a Cliff Notes version of that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the acknowledgement because it has not been easy. It is not easy to say what's most true for me on a regular basis, but it's a commitment to my own freedom, my own liberation. And it really is sort of an act of resistance to the dominant culture that wants to sort of suppress and maintain the status quo. So thank you for noticing that. Oh, yeah. um, it's <laughs> pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, some of it, I think, is like this sort of nature and nurture bit. You know, I think I, there's an, a, a part of me that definitely pressed into this dimension of reality to be this kind of disruptive presence. 
And I come from like a very deep lineage of women that spoke mostly when it wasn't appreciated, wow. you know? And so I just deep, deep bow to my mother, to my grandmother, to my great grandmother, um, lots of appreciation for the modeling, you know, because I think that there are, are lots of people and lots of women that may or may not have had models that sort of pushed the envelope. I mean, you know, there was a time where women were quite literally burned for doing that. So, um, yeah, just thank you for for noticing that and seeing that. I think that, you know, any of us who are navigating whatever layers of um, suppression, oppression, repression to move against that, you know, and and that could be based on identity or that could be based on family systems, right? It's like some of us are raised with with messaging that like, you're not going to do that. You're not going to become that. And to go against that and say, yes, I am like that. I get chills even Ooh. thinking about that. Yes. You know, it's like that's a big deal. It so, is. you know, whenever we say I'm going to break the mold, I'm going to bust into a new paradigm. That's a big deal. And it's worthy of acknowledging ourselves for that, you know? And I mean, I just think a lot of adults, we, we again, have not been domesticated to appreciate ourselves as deeply as I think we oftentimes need to. And I mean, like, really like a holy appreciation, not like our sort of egoic bravado, which is also fun sometimes, but to really like bow deeply to the brilliance that we each are. You know, I, 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 I just fundamentally know that every being that is on the planet at this moment in time is uniquely, purposefully, does divinely here for an appointment. And when we honor that, it's, it's you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. Now, we also don't need to make it unnecessarily hard. Sometimes we do that too. But, you know, it's like, uh, you know, my husband's a, a landscape architect and I, I love gardening metaphors. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like that plant that's, that's the seed that's growing into the plant that's pushing through the soil. It requires the friction for its magnificence. So we are each that way. I have certainly created my fair share of friction in my existence. <laughs> I was raised the first 13 years of my life on the North shore of Chicago in a, a little, a village called Glencoe. Um, I was raised east of Sheridan Road, which in Chicago means something. And uh, then my mom left my dad in 1992 for a woman, which was very scandalous back then. And that and a series of other things like my uncle dying of AIDS in the 80s, you know, all these things started to show up in my world of like, what is going on here? Something, there's some kind of delusion that human beings are living in that's all about fitting in to some societal norm that doesn't feel congruent with my soul. It's clear that my uncle disrupted that. It's clear to me that my mom has disrupted that. You know, so I just started sort of searching. In 1993, my dad moved from Glencoe into Chicago. I moved with my dad in 1993, I think it was, A Tribe Called Quest released this album called Midnight Marauders, which eternally influenced my life. And something started to stir in me. Um, I got deeply entrenched into the Chicago hip-hop scene in 93, 94, 95, 96. And 
I just started to wake up to, you know, new models, new paradigms. I started to feel a sense of like appreciation for my own fullness that had not been honored in sort of the culture of my origin and uh, became a mom at 18, became a mom again at 21. Now I have four kids, two different fathers, lots of drama in between, lots of forgiveness along the way. And uh, yeah, so here I sit and I'm just really, really grateful for the power of the indwelling presence or whatever you want to call that thing, spirit, life, you know, God, whatever word works for you. You know, I mean, the the knowing of something greater is happening here has served me in every business pursuit, in every family breakdown, in every heart broken. You know what I mean? Like it's it's um, something greater is happening here is is a mantra for me. Yeah. And I think your true knowing of that is what um, makes me somebody that always looks to someone like you mm-hmm. in a time of chaos where I have a knowing of that as well. However, you're just someone I'm like, what does Lola think? Because I know mm-hmm. she has that. No, you know, I was like, what is she saying about this? And, and I think that's why so many people have gravitated to you as a leader, whether it's been in business or you had Bodhi Spiritual Center, um, which is an expansion of like agape for those of you in L.A. that know Michael Beck, but that's like the Chicago agape here. Um, so how have you inside of your trusting and your knowing made sense of 2020? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Well, you know, I mean, I feel like the writing's been on the wall for a very long time. And, you know, one of my great, uh, spiritual philosophers that was sort of emerging in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, this guy named Ernest Holmes. And he wrote, you know, way back then, humanity has learned all that it needs to learn from suffering. And yet we still create suffering. And so, you know, it's I'm sort of like, well, if we want to keep learning this way, I guess we can, you know, <laughs> like we see kind of painful. To- yeah, I mean, it's like, wow, really stubborn, you know, <laughs> and you mentioned Michael Beckwith, who I first met when I was 20. And I heard him speak and my whole being was reorganized by that encounter. And he's since become a good friend. And, um, you know, he's most famous for saying pain pushes until vision pulls. Ooh, love that. And we just continue to grow through a lot of pain. Uh, and part of that is we're biologically, neurologically, physiologically wired for that to some extent. And we have these higher states of consciousness that really we could, we could transcend beyond our reptilian brain and tap into our imagination, our creativity. And, you know, the, the, for, to me, the gift of this, you know, first two quarters being reorganized through a pandemic and a shelter in place not dishonoring any devastating impact that real people have experienced by way of that. Uh, Like this need to slow down society 
you know, for many of us, that was the experience we had, not for all of us. For some of us, the society sped up, you know, essential workers, et cetera, et cetera. But for, for many of us, existence slowed down. And my hope has been this entire time, like, may this be an opportunity where some of the things that we've previously used to numb out are taken away. And you go through a period of time where that it's literally like, uh, like uh, detoxing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and detoxing, while the end goal may be really a glorious life that you never knew was possible, getting there is rarely uh, like rainbows and unicorns, you know, I mean, it is like, gut-wrenchingly difficult. And so, you know, when you're starting to um, interrupt, disrupt, disconnect from patterned ways of being that we've become dependent on that may not serve us, it's super uncomfortable, you know? And so, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm encouraged you know, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. First of all, I should say, I fundamentally believe that there is an evolutionary impulse to all of existence. So even in the most uh, difficult, seemingly damaging experiences, and I do not say that to absolve us of personal responsibility, but I fundamentally know that existence is growing and expanding. And that is true. We can each look at our lives and see that to be true. And when we don't allow the presence of this evolutionary impulse to move, the thing does die. So when a relationship does not continue to grow and expand and shift and change and evolve, it dies. When a business doesn't grow, evolve, imagine, expand, evolve, it dies. You know, like that's the nature of existence. And so you know, this sounds sort of fatalistic, but, you know, my my sense is that human beings at some point, and I think, you know, we've sort of been in the midst of that, will have a choice point. Like, do we want to to die? <laughs> and I mean, in one sense... Yeah, we're going left or right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if we want to create an extinction, like, we know how to do that. And we certainly could choose that way. And that would be fine. You know, uh, but it doesn't have to go that way. That would like if we do that, it'll be because we're more identified with our reptilian brain and our survival states of consciousness than we are with our creativity and imagination, which, you know, to me, that'd be unfortunate. But eh, I know that the truth of who I am is not this body anyway. So I'm not like overly attached. So how do you see us going right from here? Yeah, I mean, I think the opportunity for human beings right now is to really become acquainted with this experience of curiosity. And so even when we are brought to our knees, whether it be like, you know, deeply toxic social agreements, whether it be, you know, unsustainable business models, whether it be, you know, uh, dysfunctional family systems, it's like, Even when we are brought to our knees, we always have this thing called choice. And what choice gives us is the opportunity to ask the question, how is this for me? Mm. How is this devastating, heart-wrenching, like experience that I would never wish for another, 
how is this in service of my expansion, my evolution? If all of existence is for me, because here again, you know, I don't believe in a dualistic reality. I don't believe, I believe that human beings manufacture suffering. But if we were to actually surrender to the, to the natural impulse of existence, we could live in so much ease and grace. Mm. So we resist that. And, and perhaps you could say, well, that is sort of the, the human journey. Perhaps I want less and less suffering in my life. I want less and less suffering in the collective experience. So I have devoted both my personal existence and the service that I contribute to humanity to be about the awakening to this notion that you are in co-creation with all of existence, even in those you know, most conflicting moments to invoke curiosity. And, you know, that it's that that's that's a muscle. I mean, it's that's like that that the more you do it, the easier it is. It, it It's just like, you know, I hate working out. I know that I mean, you're just like this incredible fitness human. And I mean, I hate it. I literally <laughs> hate it. I, I hate it so much. I'm like, I don't get the point. I think it's sort of boring. I'm not I'm not motivated by like societal standards. So unfortunately, that is not a good enough carrot for me. Um, that being said, like when I go through a spurt of being like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Okay. You know, let's get after it. It There's resistance involved. <laughs> like, And that's good for me. Resistant, you know, some of us create unnecessary levels of resistance. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about like, you know, we develop chops through resistance and people with good chops. I mean, me becoming a, a, a mom at 18 was like a massive gift to me that I never could have imagined or anticipated. You know, there is a fortitude and a stamina that I know lives within me because of all the challenges that I have encountered. Right. You know, so like even in this pandemic, it's like my husband and I are both self-employed. And it's like there for sure were moments early on that it was like, uh, this is not great. Like, uh, this could be like really problematic really quickly for us, mm -hmm. you know? And yet I've lived through poverty. I know what that's like. I'm nowhere near that today. And I'm so grateful for that as a reference point, because I'm like, if I can do that, mm -hmm. these problems I'm dealing with are seriously high class problems. So Absolutely. get your head together, girl, and focus on what you have influence over and get busy. And when you need to pause, because you notice you're operating from some kind of like a uh, manic state, mm -hmm. which never produces good results, by the way, like as someone who spent years in sales, whenever I was you know, selling from scarcity. I mean, it was like just one of the most repulsive quality. You know, I mean, I and I believe me, I have sold from scarcity many, many times, and it never really went as well as I had hoped it would because people are like, I'm not sure what's off here, but this just doesn't feel great. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, oh, no, yeah, okay, <laughs> try again. Yeah. So you, you, I, we were chatting earlier, you have this beautiful pink Buddha behind you. You've created a two foot corner for yourself because all your kids are home. So you chose creativity. I'm going to make the best of this corner. 
I'm going to expand my business. I'm going to choose, you know, curiosity, creativity. I don't know what you're creating right now. I know we have a ton of courses coming out. You just came to center and chose different. So acknowledging you for your little creative corner, because it's gorgeous, that two by two foot thing you got going on there. My one of my one of my hacks that I do all the time because you know my brother lives six blocks away and they're about to have their fourth child mm-hmm. also, and um, which some people might be like, what is up with people having four kids anymore? Like people do that, and I just want to say like, as much as I love each of my children, not one of them was deliberate, and I still love them. <laughs> I'm so grateful for them. <laughs> I am forever altered by their existence, but it wasn't like you know what. <laughs> That's I really funny. would like a big family. No, it wasn't like that. <laughs> wasn't that thoughtful. That being said, the what I told my brother recently, who's like, man, I'm working from home. I got all these kids. I'm like, here's here's the hack, my friend. I pretend like I live in Manhattan, like all the time. I pretend I live in Manhattan. And if I live in Manhattan, I have a giant <laughs> space. Now, there are plenty of people that come to my house and be like, you have seven people and two small dogs living in that place. Like, that sounds terrible. And I would say, no, I live in Manhattan. This is like the lap of luxury. You just can't see it. But I can. And as such, I live in a perpetual state of appreciation. I love that. That's such a great hack. I'm going to do that. And I'll live in a mansion as well. I mean, I don't have to do downward dog in my bathroom. That's a luxury right there. Right. <laughs> so... There's a lot of entrepreneurs on the line, and I feel like there's so many concepts that you have taught through the years that I've been able to bear witness to. One of them that I loved watching you unpack is the drama triangle. I feel like you're such a beautiful stand for people living outside of drama. And you've talked about this, like we create and perpetuate suffering. Like at some Mm -hmm. point we become addicted to it and we don't even realize we're in the frame Mm -hmm. of suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I would love if you could unpack and give tangible tools to take radical self-responsibility, walk free from victim consciousness and live in joy and bliss and allow more goodness in. Yes. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I would just say, like, that's your birthright. So if you are not like actively in pursuit of a deeper experience of joy and freedom and peace in your life that is on you Mm, you know and i i don't i don't say that to shame anyone or blame anyone or anything like that but it's like you know my probably the lyric that articulates my life's work more deeply than anything is from redemption song by bob marley Mm. emancipate yourself from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our mind And he gets that from Marcus Garvey, who was really about supporting the mental freedom of people independent of circumstances and conditions. Like if you know, if you have knowledge of self, if you know the truth of who you are, you can create anything. If you live from the outside in where your circumstances and conditions are pulling the puppet strings of your life, you will literally forever feel victimized by circumstances and conditions. So, you know, all drama exists inside of the drama triangle is sort of the framework I like to use. So there's always a victim. There's always a villain. There's always a hero. And sometimes that drama is within our own selves. Sometimes we're 
playing the victim, the villain, and the hero. And we're just sort of jumping around that triangle. And then you can look at like our relationships with our family, our relationships within our business, our relationships within society, our relationships with the with government, our relationship with the IRS. Like, look at all the places that you feel victimized by reality. Like, I cannot believe I got that notice from the IRS. Mm -hmm. Like, do they not know how much money I give? And it's like, okay, you know, now here's the thing. If you are not going to take on revolutionizing the Internal Revenue Service, then please, like, I really don't care. I don't like get a good accountant, work it out and let's keep it moving because that is a massive waste of your psychic energy. You know, it's like it's like nobody cares about your racket around the IRS. Nobody cares. It's just move on. So, you know, we all have to look at like like e even like political stuff. It's like, you know, can you believe? And it's like, yes, yes. You know, like, you know, whomever is in office. We created it. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you know, our current paradigm is a reflection of consciousness. And so, you know, I think that the great gift of our current political environment, which can be mapped onto anything, is stop outsourcing your good to some single leader thinking that he or she is the source of your salvation. Thank you. Like, no, you. you're the one, beloved. Let's go. You know, like, so, I mean, but, you know, you cannot shift what you cannot accept. That's one of my great, beautiful, you know, teachers and, and mentors, Jim, Jim Dethmer always says. So too often we want to actually move out of the drama before we've actually accepted a sober reality of like, I'm in drama. So we want to like what what I'll often call spiritual bypass. So we're, we'll just sort of be like, oh, no, everything's in divine order. Like all is well, you know, this is so perfect. But you haven't actually felt your feelings all the way through around how ugh, this is for you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, can I just all the beginning practices of the drama triangle is may I begin to notice where I am experiencing a, a feeling of being closed and defensive mm. in anything. And when I can notice, oh, I'm feeling closed and defensive, uh, in this now moment, am I playing the role of hero? So am I over-functioning to move away from that? Am I playing My the role? Yeah, yeah, me too. I love that one. <laughs> I mean, I really have to watch that one. I got to watch it like, woo, real tough. Yeah. So the, the hero takes more than 100% responsibility. Yeah. The hero overfunctions and by the way, gets like a good hit of adrenaline oh, yeah. from that. Oh, yeah. Lots, yeah, like lots of approval, lots of appreciation until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, watch out because that is the seed of resentment. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm constantly noticing like, w am I in right relationship with my agreements, with my relationships, with what I say yes to? You know, most of us are saying yes to things that we're not fully committed to. And then we get pissed off when they happen or go a particular way. And we probably shouldn't have said yes to them from the beginning. So, you know, my favorite spots on the drama triangle are hero and villain. You know, I have a big, big mama bear that lives in me. And you sort of talk about that. that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like it does come from love, but I could see where it could yeah, be unconscious. 
Well, anything that we do can be done in uh, sort of an unconscious state or a conscious state, you know? And so I can be mama bear from a place that's deeply conscious and compassionate and, and, and um, loving. Was the black squares conscious or unconscious? I would say it was both. <laughs> it was both. I, I, was I was both. feeling the love. I was really. <laughs> yeah. Like I really was like, oh, with these black squares and and a part of I would say largely it was it was from a state of conscious awareness, which was like, I if there's one desire I have for human beings, it is to stop following, like actually slow down. Do you know what your intuitive nature would tell you? Do you know what your internal guidance would say? Listen to that and then move. But we're like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to post something on social media. Okay, okay, let me go ahead and do that. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh, I, I don't really know why I'm posting that thing, but you know, everybody else does. I don't want anybody to think that I'm not for the cause. Okay, Simon, so I'm, I'm for the cause. See, I have a black square up. And it's like, oh my gosh, you don't even know why you're posting that black square. You know, I mean, I could go on a whole. Yeah, you know, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But the point is, living in in uh, in choice versus reaction which yeah like yeah. like you know if we can move to curiosity and notice our reactivity but not get seduced and taken out by our reactivity and then when we do because i i become highly reactive and then i will say and do things that are not the highest and truest version of me and then i go clean those things up you know and so like I, I lost it at mattress firm one day, you know, and it was like, I really like they, my kids are in Brooklyn. They're living on their own for the first time. I need, I'm like trying to take care of all these things being delivered. And then they get there and the bed bug cover isn't there. And I'm like, now I'm in Chicago. There's like nothing I can do. I can't, you know, and I'm like, Aah! and this guy's like, ma'am. Um, I'm here to help you. And I'm like, okay, sir, I'm going to take a deep breath. I really know that to be true. And I just want you to know that I'm over here having an experience. It, 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 and I really want you to get that this is nothing about you. This is just over here on planet Lola. I am having a, a whole body experience. And he's like, well, ma'am, I just started last week and this is a part-time job. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh, shit, that's good. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, I, I'm just going to be I'm going to allow myself to feel my feelings because most of us suppress them mm -hmm. and then they calcify in our body mm. and we become very moody. And right now we just have like a lot of moody folks walking around the planet. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And then, as I oftentimes say, like, you wonder why someone loses it at, you know, a mattress firm or a Starbucks. It's like we haven't really created a society where it's okay for people to feel their feelings around the things that matter. And then you get a caramel macchiato instead of like a mocha frappuccino or whatever. I don't go to Starbucks. So something mm -hmm. like that. And then it's like the whole day is ruined. And it's like, well, wait a second. That, that doesn't seem right. And on a global scale right now, you can see a global pain body coming to the surface for how long Absolutely. we haven't given any type of space for this conversation to be healed yes yes so it's yes. an eruption yes. a, yeah. like a collective eruption yeah yeah and when you say this conversation you're talking about race yes. in america yes yeah. okay yeah yeah no we don't like to talk about that yeah
Yeah, we don't like that, to hold to to give give clean space to. No, no memes are better. Mm-hmm. Simpler yeah. bypass <laughs> spiritually bypass the shit out of that and and cycle back four hundred years again and yeah. again and again. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is it is an interesting thing to watch, um, uh, sort of a collective incapacity to be mm. with discomfort. And yes, that's it right there. Yeah. And the irony is it creates so much more discomfort. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because we haven't been willing to sit with our own. Mm -hmm. So how can we hold space for? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, the the conversation of, of race in America has had a traumatic effect on every human being. And it certainly it certainly manifests differently for different people. And some of that's informed by class. Some of that's informed by race. Some of that is informed by gender identity, you know, but everyone has, has, there's collective trauma around the unhealed and ongoing impact of racism in America. Is this our moment to heal it? I'm like cautiously optimistic, you know? I mean, I I have been deeply, deeply uh, committed to dismantling internalized racism within my own being for over 30 years and intentionally and explicitly. And I think my concern is that what it requires is something that I fear many are not willing to do. Yeah, it, it feels like we're going there, but it's almost too surface. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got a text recently from like one of my best. And, you know, it's all this conversation of, of racism in America has always been sort of a challenging one for us to have because you know, I mean, I, it's just, we're just, just in different places in the conversation. And, you know, she said to me like, so if we just like were to boil it down, so racism is basically like, and it's like, yeah, you can't just boil it down. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't really speak to the last 400 plus years of devastating impact that, you know, it's not like, we can't just take a couple mindfulness tools and like map it on to racism in America. It's like part of what we really have to do, I think. And and by we, I, I mean, not exclusively white identified people, because, you know, there are people of all racial identities are disconnected from true American history. But like we have a responsibility to really get acquainted with what has occurred on this land and not as some kind of like um, dr- drama. That's the thing. Not to just like, you know, create a bunch of guilt because guilt doesn't really do much, um, but really just in, in service of knowledge of self. We must understand where we came from. So if we have incest in our family, if we have, uh, you know, any kind of sexual abuse in our family, if we do not have an intentional conversation and exploration of that trauma, it will metastasize in other ways as we progress. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like, 
we haven't had that conversation around the traumatic implications of racism in America for 400 plus years, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it's interesting because my, you know, my older kids are biracial. Their dad is black. And I was talking to my daughter last night and she basically was like, yeah, I at this point, I my commitment to educating white people is like I, I that is not my strategy at all. Like, you know, it's not her responsibility. Yeah. And also, she's just like, I actually don't think that that's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's going to come a time where, you know, white people are for sure the minority. And so that will have an impact. And unless institutional changes occur, like me just having like one on one conversations with white identified people to sort of like bring their racial consciousness along, she's like, I just don't think that that is all that helpful. Now, she and I have different responsibilities, I think, within the conversation. And Mm -hmm. I feel very committed to having, um, you know, conversations with white identified people and specifically white identified people that are in positions of influence. Because I feel like if I can support the development of one's racial consciousness, who is white identified in a position of power and influence, that could impact thousands of people from a policy perspective. So, you know, it's just an interesting conversation. I think the other thing is that, you know, a lot of white identified people don't have a lot of comfort uh, or experience talking about race in America, which I think is just that in and of itself would be a game changer. If white people Mm -hmm. could actually have um, some capacity to talk about race in America without feeling defensive, like we could actually make a fair amount of progress. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's happening. I think it's extremely surface and we have an opportunity here. So I'm with you on the caution, but the needles being moved in a direction that's hopeful. Yeah. And remember, I I believe in the evolutionary impulse of existence. So, you know. You know, it's like the moral arc of the universe is long, but it always bends towards justice. And, you know, I know that to be true. So, um, you know. It never goes as quickly as we want, but that doesn't mean we throw in the towel. Right. So as we um, grow in our leadership and we come up against our own upper limits, um, whether it's around this conversation that's been holding us back, potentially, it's why Mm -hmm. it's here for us now, could be why it's here for us now, Mm -hmm. whether it's around something else that we have yet to identify. How do you help leaders break through their own plateaus, mm-hmm. release limiting beliefs, and take full responsibility to going to the next level inside of themselves and hold space for their company to go to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I like to sort of um, explore worst case scenarios. Okay. I mean, that's like, I, I, I really, because... To me, if you're not dealing with what you're most afraid of, you're never going to actualize what you most desire. I love that. And so it's like, okay, let's really dig in. Like, just what, go there. What, yeah. I like, like that strategy. Just, yeah, because otherwise we're wasting a lot of time. It's sort of like we're trying to make something look prettier than it is. I mean, it's like I'm in a constant conversation with myself around like, what am I afraid of? Oh, that's interesting. So it, I'm I'm actually manufacturing a set of circumstances because I'm really afraid of fill in the blank, mm-hmm. you know, 
And so I think that for me, the work that I do with individuals, with leaders, with executive teams is to really look at what are the collective agreements that are unconscious that we're uh, in collusion around. So like, do you have a fundamental belief in scarcity? And most people would say, no, 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 of course, of course not. You know, I believe in, you know, and especially this has become more and more popular. I, I believe in abundance. Mm-hmm. And yet your entire life is designed inside of a scarcity construct. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, for me, I really want to get intimately familiar with my fears from an observer perspective. Beautiful. N- not by getting seduced and taken out and paralyzed by them, but just by witnessing them, knowing them like, oh, what if it's just some little part of me, some young part of me that that got sort of trapped at a particular developmental stage and now is sort of like running the show unconsciously. And now all of a sudden I'm in, you know, my organizational environment, I'm in my community environment, and I've projected these fears of like, oh, that's my mom. And I don't even know that I've projected this coworker as my mom. Oh, that's my dad. Oh, that's my brother. Oh, that's my sister. And all of that happens unconsciously. But we're sort of like, we're navigating the environment as if there's a constant threat. And it's like, hey, if you are living in alignment, you talk about upper limits, you know, that comes out of the the book, The Big Leap by Gay and Katie Hendricks. A lot of Gay and Katie Hendricks work, specifically Gay's work is about whole body. Yes living in alignment, tuning into the wisdom of your body. You know, if you're if you're moving towards something and you are not in whole alignment, like it will have marginal success. So like for me, I want to always tune into the wisdom of my body, literally like what is my body telling me? You know, most of us are highly identified with our mind. Our mind is a wonderful tool, but you also have an emotional intelligence. You have a body intelligence. When you live in a more integrated state as a leader, you're getting cues all the time. So, you know, I I recently was in a conversation with a friend. We were talking about partnering on something. And all of a sudden I woke up this morning and I was like, something's off there. Mm -hmm. And so I just texted her. I said, hey, are you available to talk? Because I just want to check this out. And I literally was like, I just noticed I have sort of a pit in my stomach. And I made up this story because you said you were going to email me on this date and time, and that didn't happen. And then I received this other email from this friend of ours, and I watched myself put the two together. And now I'm making up all kinds of stories. Before we move forward with this project, I just want to reveal that so that we can get clearly aligned and see if we still want to do this together. Beautiful. I mean, that kind of an embodied practice, first of all, you know, I mean, Gay will also say, like if you once you begin to eliminate drama in your life, you will become uh, acquainted with a kind of aliveness and a kind of energy. You won't even know what to do with yourself. I mean, most people are so deeply entrenched in drama patterns and that seems normal. Most human beings. Yeah, we so, get addicted to it. Yeah. And so it's like, you know. Fortunately, I, you know, my assistant is so helpful to me. Like I'm an external processor. So I like to talk a lot about whatever I'm dealing with. And occasionally she'll be like, you know, Lola, I'm just wondering, like, is this the highest and best use of your energy? Like, is this you hired her? Yeah. Like (laughs) she's like, is this in service of you? Or she's like, I'm here for it. 
but I just want to make sure this is actually how you want to spend your energy. And occasionally I'll be like, Christine, if you say that again, I'm going to really be so irritated, you know? And she's like, okay, got it. We're not available for that right now. (laughs) And then, you know, occasionally I'll be like, I'm so glad you reminded me. Thank you so much, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's just about like really being in an active practice of noticing where we are in alignment, where we are out of alignment. And again, if there's wanting something that we're wanting to create in the world, some business objective, some Mm -hmm. relational objective, some financial objective, but if there's a kink in the hose, it's going to get in the way. So we want to be highly attuned to our intuitive nature. You are wired to know. You are like inherently wise but we oftentimes outsource our security, approval, and control to other people, places, and things, and then hope they'll tell us. And it's like, yeah, it's just, that's, that's just not the way. Beautiful. How do you unkink your hose? I do a lot of nonverbal about body movement and sound. So I am like a big practitioner of like, you know, so it's like, I, I can have it. a... I can have a very sharp tongue. I know this about myself when I'm hot. So anger is a core emotion for me. I'm very comfortable with it. Very familiar with it. I I have developed a very conscious relationship with it. And part of what that looks like is rather than me. Well, one of the things that happens is my vocabulary grows exponentially when I'm angry. So all of a sudden words that I never usually (laughs) use, they're like very complex words start like coming out of my mouth rapid wow. fire. Fortunately for society, my husband is is really the only one that has to still, you know, occasionally have that experience. But um, I now have a very active practice of moving my body. So I oftentimes talk about loose knees, move your hips, because, you know, stuff gets trapped in our body. And I will literally just make sounds free of words. So again, this is part of moving out of the thinking mind, which is overly relied upon, and it's not your greatest resource. It's a resource, not your greatest resource. You have a whole system of emotional intelligence. You have a whole system of body intelligence. My thinking mind will serve me better when I am connected to my body and my feelings. And so I I, I also am very committed to um, just being honest, you know, just saying like, Hey, you know, to a client recently, you know, I know we had this agreement. A variety of things have happened since we created this agreement, not the least of which is a global pandemic. And uh, this agreement isn't feeling friendly to me anymore. I'm really committed to you getting the highest and best experience of me. And I want to renegotiate the agreement so that it feels like something that's in alignment for the organization and feels like it's in alignment for me. And I understand that that client is not the source of my being. Like, I, I, I have not made them my God. And so I can be in relationship with the renegotiation of an agreement without being paralyzed by fear because I know what's actually sourcing me, what's actually mm. supplying me, what's actually generating my life force energy. It is not that client. And I'm I'm happy to do work with that client. You know what I mean? So... It's it's really like we must we must pay attention to the small child in us that always wants to look for Santa Claus outside of us. 
we always want to look for this, you know, like we've we've turned sort of the mystical realm into Santa Claus or the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy. It's like maybe some knight in shining armor is going to like swoop in and and save me. And it's not that like grace and generosity and extraordinary things cannot happen all the time, but right where you are is the presence of all that is. Abundance, wholeness, freedom, joy, peace, that is your nature. And when you develop a practice to reconnect with that center, then you can begin to realize it in your circumstances and conditions. But your circumstances and conditions will always be a reflection of your internal state. That is true at the personal level, and that is true at the collective level. It's strictly mathematic. So beautiful. Outside of your, um, let's just call it your audible practice, moving your body, mm-hmm. and um, are there any other tools? Like I know that I, I use freeform writing. I've heard you personally mm-hmm. describe it as... I forget what you call it. It's something different, but where you're just automatic writing in the morning to get yeah stream of consciousness, stream of consciousness, writing, meditation. What what do you? Because there's unkinking your hose, and there's that knowing that you sit inside of that. I feel like allows you to operate from a clear space. And so, mm-hmm. how do you suggest people get plugged in in their own way every single day? Like, what are your uh, conglomerate of tools that you have in your belt? I'm highly discerning around who I spend my time with. Beautiful. I am extremely selective of who is in my ear. Mm. Uh, I do not share my most sacred intentions with all human beings, not because I don't think that all human beings are extraordinary in their own way, but I'm very, very, you know, as I always say to my children, I will not throw pearls before swine. Do not come to me with that nonsense. You know, so I'm very, very discerning around my spoken word. I'm very discerning around my schedule, my time. You know, um, we've all heard this idea of like, oh, your your income is typically the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. And I would say that that's largely true of anything, not just your income, your quality of existence, your mental state, your physical body, your, you know, all of those things. So I'm very discerning around that. I am a big, big believer in stillness and quiet. You know, I think that like human beings' ability to learn to be still with ourselves is one of the greatest portals into peace and joy and love. You know, we have a lot of noise in this plane of existence and we, it, you know, it doesn't require you like sitting in Lululemon pants with a green drink. I, you know, it's like, that's not it. That it's like, You can actually meditate in any moment with anything going on. You know, like I have little kids that are making demands of me. I mean, every day I have many human beings demanding things of me right in my own house. And so I breathe deeply in through my nose in and from my belly. Most of us are deep breathing, very shallow breaths from our chest. We need to get that diaphragmatic engagement. It literally will adjust our central nervous systems. I don't watch a lot of news. I get enough to be informed and be to be a responsible human being. But all of the news patterns are pretty predictable. You don't actually need a lot to know what's going on on the planet. Um, 
I drink a ton of water. You know, I'm like very, very committed to that. I really believe like water, sleep and breath. If you get those things on lock, like you are good. And and all of those things are pretty accessible to most human beings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, yeah, those are some of the hacks. And, 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 and then the, some of the other things are like, if I'm going to read, I'm going like straight to the jugular with stuff. Like I don't read a lot of like um, sort of like New York Times bestsellers. Not, mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with that. But like there's something about the wisdom of the ages that like hits at a different vibrational frequency. So like there's a great book called Lessons in Truth by H. Emily Cady. Now, people might pick that up and be like, okay, this is a little weird. It's sort of old school. It's like, no, it's super, super old school. It's this woman who like, basically, I think was, it was, she was like at the turn of the century. And it's in a sort of Judeo-Christian framework. So, you know, if that triggers you, just, you know, take what you like and leave the rest. That's sort of my practice. But it's like, she's speaking at a quality that is eternal. Mm. And when I read that stuff, I literally feel it in every cell of my body. And even if I don't understand it all the first go around, I know that it's operating me. Mm. Operating me. I love that. What's your favorite book? Or what books made the biggest difference for you? Oh, my gosh. If you can name one. Yeah. I mean, can I name a couple? Yeah, you can name a couple. Okay. So um, Asada, the autobiography of Asada Shakur changed my life at the age of 16, gave me a completely new paradigm for what was occurring in this, this country. Um, the Science of Mind, which is like a very dense spiritual textbook, but I love it and I can open it at any time and it it just nourishes me very deeply. It's sort of the intersection of science, religion, and philosophy. Um, some of some of Ernest Holmes' more simpler books are this thing called You. I love that. And then there's um, a great book that I think is is helpful for people who are interested in in sort of understanding themselves more deeply. And it's a more contemporary book called The Great Work of Your Life by mm. Stephen Cope, the great one. And then finally, I always recommend Stillness Speaks by Eckhart Tolle because it's a teeny little book. You can read it quickly. I think it speaks to so much of the human experience. Well, this has been amazing. Last question, because I so value your perspective. What is your vision for the future of humanity? Oh, wow. <sighs> My vision for the future of humanity is that we may allow ourselves to experience more joy, that we may walk on the planet with a greater sense of grace and compassion for one another, that we may realize that every human being that is in this experience is a complete manifestation of the experiences that they've had preceding this now moment. And when we can get that, my experience is we have a lot more compassion for one another. My desire for humanity is that we stop following and we start leading from within, that we release dogma. I think that, you know, dogma of any kind really keeps us trapped and it actually strips us of our autonomy and agency and wisdom, you know? And so, my, I guess, simply stated, my greatest vision for humanity is that we should know that the presence of all that is is right where we are 
that there is no desire that has ever been placed on the heart of any one of us that is not already fully sourced and supplied with all that it should need for its fulfillment. And so um, just an expansion of love, of grace. Love is already here. We just have to allow it to be realized and to then walk in that vibration. So beautiful. Where would you like people to find you? You can find me at lolaright.com. It's uh, going through a facelift. So please be graceful <laughs> and loving and kind. Uh, you can check me out on social media at Lola P. Wright. Um, I probably enjoy that too much. Uh, but I, I find social media to be this brilliant, like, I sort of look at it and engage with it from a sociological perspective because I think it's it's sort of a window into where the consciousness of humanity is, our unconscious states and our conscious states. So yeah, find me at lolawright.com and at Lola P. Wright. I have a new podcast that'll be coming out in uh, probably August of 2020. So check that out too. Perfect. Thank you so much, Lola. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this episode and DM us. We'd love to interact with you about all you learn and create from this. If you love this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to get real-time updates when all new episodes go live. And if you can, please leave us a review. It will help us grow our community and our message to support more leaders on their growth journey. If you want to continue to hang out with me, follow me on Instagram at Laura E. Holloway and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at lauraeholloway.com for weekly downloads, blogs, upcoming workshops, events, and more. Stay aligned and make your move. I'll see you next week.